Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have of being followers of Jesus. And I just pray that you would speak through me these next few minutes and that the word of God would be presented in a way that is fresh and an inspiring way that would draw us closer to Jesus. So I just pray that you would speak through me now and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for my message this morning is Service or Business. You know, the theme for this weekend is called a service. And as physicians, as dentists, as healthcare professionals, I think most of us can relate to the struggle of whether or not we are in this work for the service of God or for the business of personal enrichment. And it's very easy to become so busy and so focused on the everyday business side of healthcare that we can lose sight of the true purpose for why God has called us into the work that he has given us to do. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read a very familiar passage as a springboard to the rest of what we talk about. And this is Jesus making his last appeal before he returns to heaven. And in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, this should be inspiring to us. Jesus is saying, I have all power in heaven and earth. So if you are working on my behalf, you have access to that power. And in verse 19, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But the marginal reading says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, something historically that we've been pretty good at as Seventh-day Adventists is giving a theological construct for why you should believe the Seventh-day Adventist message. But we haven't been as good at making disciples of Jesus. Yes, people can gain a theoretical understanding of all the truths that we hold dear, but how often are we actually making disciples of all nations? Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Why then do we not believe that we could make disciples under the power of Christ the way the disciples had power when they were followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago? And then he goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know, I'm thankful that Jesus encouraged us to baptize in the name of the three great powers of the Godhead in heaven. We don't need to have any confusion on that idea. And then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When we really get to know Jesus as he is, and when we come to understand that all power is given to him in heaven and in earth, and that he has given us that same power to go and make disciples and to teach them all things, 
Sometimes I wonder what we're doing as a people. Are we really motivated to make disciples of all nations? Now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first few verses of this chapter. Because Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of who we are and where we've come from and what God has done for us and the, and how we should be inspired and motivated to give service to the Lord. Verse 1 of Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we're reminded, yes, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And where have we come from? In time past, we walked according to the course of, the, of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So we are all reminded that we have been in the pit of sin, but we have been quickened or made alive again, even though in the past we were dead in trespasses and sins. And if we are truly made alive by Christ, we would want to make disciples of those who are dead in trespasses and sins now because we know what it was like to be there. But here's the catch. If we're still dead in trespasses and sins, we won't have the motivation to call people out of that darkness. Could it be that a lack of desire to call people out of the darkness of sin is a reflection of the reality that we're still there ourselves? Because when we are in this pathway of being dead in trespasses and sins, there is less of a line of demarcation between us and the world, and we start to lose the sense for the ugliness of sin. But Paul goes on starting in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us all to, or made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come, throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, those who have been quickened or brought out of the pit of sin, who have been saved by the grace of Christ, will be a demonstration for the exceeding riches of the grace of God and the kindness that he has showed toward us through Christ Jesus. But sometimes I wonder, 
especially for those of us in the health profession. And the reality is we have many friends, even of our faith, who are in the healthcare profession, who the reality is the exceeding riches that are talked about are not the exceeding riches of Christ, but the exceeding riches that we can make by being masters of business in our field. And so healthcare professionals are known for having money, and that's the honest reality. But are we known for making known to others the exceeding riches of the grace of Christ for those who are dead in trespasses and sins? And I would submit to you again that one of the reasons that we aren't sharing the exceeding riches of the grace of Christ to the lost and dying world around us is because we may not have yet been quickened from a life that is dead in sin. And so we have a knowledge of Christ. We have a knowledge of truth, but we're not submitted to Christ. And so there's a disconnect between what we profess with our lips and how we live our lives. And that's one of the reasons I believe that the Lord has raised this ministry up to lead to a reawakening of our need for Christ completely in our lives and of the need to share that with us. Now I want you to go to Matthew 13, and this is really the, the heart of what I'm going to be sharing this morning. It's a simple passage. It's a passage that's well known, but in the last few months it's become alive again to me as I've reflected on how this relates to my own walk with God. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, it, unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Here in this parable that Jesus gives, and the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price are connected with each other. In this parable of the treasure hidden in a field, this man is searching through this field and finds this treasure, and this treasure is so valuable that he is willing to sell all that he has. Now, Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 104, this parable illustrates the value of the heavenly treasure and the effort that should be made to secure it. The finder of the treasure in the field was ready to part with all that he had, ready to put forth untiring labor in order to secure the hidden riches. So the finder of heavenly treasure will count no labor too great and no sacrifice too dear in order to gain the treasures of truth. Now notice this. In the parable, the field containing the treasure represents the Holy Scripture. So this is a seeker of truth. This is someone who is searching through the Bible to find what is missing in his life. In the gospel, notice this. So the, the treasure represents the Holy Scripture. No, excuse me. The field represents the Holy Scripture, and the gospel is the treasure. So the Scripture is the field that we study, but the treasure that is found in that field or in the Scripture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The earth itself is not so interlaced with golden veins and filled with precious things as is the word of God. Now, let's be honest with ourselves, and I think I'm speaking to many who have gone through dental school or medical school or physical therapy or some other line of of schooling that if we're honest with ourselves, we put a significant amount of effort to get through that, did we not? And if we were to be honest with ourselves, when we look at the effort that is required to obtain the degree and then the the further training that we have so that we can practice in the profession that we do, and I think all of that is good, I'm thankful for the knowledge that I've gained through that training, could it be possible that some of us have put more effort into securing a medical or a dental degree than we have in gaining a knowledge of the real treasure of Scripture. And the amazing thing that that I hear so many times from pulpits is, it's okay, it's not hard, just accept Jesus. You don't need to put any effort into the Bible. It's there, grace is free, everything's good, don't worry about it. And yes, grace is free, but the Bible does not paint the picture of Christianity being an easy pass religion where you just kind of float into it and do nothing and everything's fine. The The parable that's being painted here by Jesus is saying that those who discover the treasure are willing to give up everything to obtain it. And I know many of my classmates were willing to do almost anything to pass their tests and the board exams and to get that degree and to get that career because so many have a mentality that when we get out there and we start making the money, life's going to be great. And so many times we live as if the treasure is the degree and the career and the money and the lifestyle and we forget the reason why we went into it in the first place. So I asked the question from the title of my message, are we practicing from a motivation of service or business? Have you found the hidden treasure in the field? Have you found the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the treasure in the field? Have you learned to study the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your mind so that the power of the gospel can shine forth in your life? So that as Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, why is the gospel so powerful? Verse 17 tells us, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Listen, when you find the treasure, the gospel is not simply a theological construct that is a declaration of how God sees you. It's a theological construct that then becomes a demonstration of a changed life because of your faith in the power of the God that has given you the treasure of that gospel. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, Ellen White 
has some interesting things to say further about this parable. Christ Object Lessons 105. God does not conceal his truth from men. By their own course of action, they make it obscure to themselves. Christ gave the Jewish people abundant evidence that he was the Messiah, but his teaching called for a decided change in their lives. They saw that if they received Christ, they must give up their cherished maxims and traditions, their selfish, ungodly practices. It required a sacrifice to receive changeless eternal truth. And I'll be honest with you, I feel sometimes that we have a struggle in the healthcare field that when we see the truth as it is in Jesus, there's this temptation in the back of my mind. If I give my life fully to Christ, I might lose everything that I've worked for to receive as a physician or a dentist. Everything that I've worked so hard to build up, what if God calls me to sell my practice and go to the mission field? Boy, I'd lose everything that I've worked so hard for. But if you have found in the gospel of Jesus Christ the hidden treasure, you're willing to give up everything because you realize that the gospel is of more value than your practice or your career. Your career is a means of service to the Lord where you will make disciples of all nations so that the exceeding riches of his grace will be made manifest in the ages to come about what God did in your life and you're motivated that it will be revealed in what he's done in the lives that come across your path. Now, Jesus has really a two-part parable here because in verse 45 he says again, So he's re-emphasizing this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here we have a hidden treasure that the seeker of truth was willing to sell everything that he had for. And now we have a merchant man, a businessman, who finds this pearl of great price, and he's willing to sell everything that he has for the pearl. Christ Object Lessons 115, all that can satisfy the needs and longings of the human soul for this world and for the world to come is found in Christ. Our Redeemer is the pearl so precious that in comparison, all things else may be accounted loss. You know, when I read these two verses and I see this merchant man who finds this goodly pearl, and this pearl of great price is represented as being Jesus himself, I again have to ask myself the question, how many of us have truly found in Jesus the pearl of great price that we would be willing to sell all that we have to obtain that pearl, which is Jesus. And the reason why I wonder that sometimes is because the way Jesus is presented or talked about so many times in church goes along the lines of something like this. Well, surely Jesus wouldn't expect me to give up that idol in my life. His grace is too rich for me to surrender that to him, right? I can get into the kingdom and still get by with this idol or that idol as long as I make a profession that he's died for me. Christ's Object Lessons 116 says in the parable, the pearl is not represented as a gift. 
The merchantman bought it at the price of all that he had. Many question the meaning of this since Christ is represented in the scriptures as a gift. Now notice what she says. He is a gift, but only to those who give themselves soul, body, and spirit to him without reserve. Now, I'm almost embarrassed when I hear people say, so you mean that I would have to give up this lifestyle practice, watching these things on TV or wearing this kind of a dress or this kind of a outfit or this kind of entertainment? I would have to give that up to follow Jesus. And yet I'm saying, wait a minute, how much did Jesus give up for you? Why do we ask the wrong questions? Jesus is the gift, but only to those who give themselves soul, body, and spirit to him without reserve. And the reality is is that when you see Jesus for who he is as that pearl of great price, everything really changes. Your perspective on everything changes. The quote goes on to say, we are to give ourselves to Christ. To live a life of willing obedience to all his requirements, all that we are, all the talents and capabilities we possess are the Lord's to be consecrated to his service. This is a call to service, friends. Everything that we have should be consecrated to him. When we thus give ourselves wholly to him, Christ, with all the treasures of heaven, gives himself to us. We obtain the pearl of great price. And I'm afraid sometimes that we as Seventh-day Adventists don't really know what it's like to have the pearl because we haven't been willing to give everything to Christ. And so we talk about Jesus, we talk about him as our Savior, but the reality is that those who have Jesus as their Savior will also have him as the Lord of our lives. But as Luke 19 talks about in this parable, there are many who say we will not have this man to reign over us. We're okay with him being Savior, but we don't want him to be Lord. And so because of that, we are missing out on what it means to have this pearl. Often I look out at us as Seventh-day Adventists and I wonder, do we really realize what we have? Why are we ashamed of the truths that we have from Scripture, which is the great field of study, and why are we ashamed of the everlasting gospel that has not changed, the gospel that gives us power to receive forgiveness for sin and victory over sin in this life before Jesus comes? Do we realize the, the hidden treasure of the gospel? Do we realize the pearl of great price? Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All the truths of Scripture point us back to Jesus. When the disciples were on the road to Emmaus and they had discovered that they had talked to Jesus, they made the remark, did not our hearts burn within us? How many times has your heart truly burned within you as you've spent time with Jesus in the morning? Or is it just a passing moment where you're rushing off to work and you get a few minutes in where you hardly think about what you've studied and you hardly think upon spiritual things throughout the day and you're busy, busy, busy doing business, business, business and you might every once in a while do a witness in your practice and the Spirit of the Lord is trying to reach you with this 
great pearl of great price that when you have it, you will want everybody else to have what you have because there is nothing like it in the world and your heart is burning within you because you want people to have the Jesus that you have discovered. You know, I came across a story of an early Adventist pioneer by the name of Michael Tchaikovsky. Some of you may have heard the story. He was a Polish young man who had a desire to be a worker for the Lord. And so his understanding of God was through the local church, which was the Catholic Church, so he became a priest. And he quickly, through his study of scripture and then through his observation of the practices of the church, saw that there was need for reform. And so in the early 1800s, he set out to travel to Rome, much like Martin Luther had done in the 1500s, so that he could gain a a hearing with the Pope. Since he was a priest, he had some status. And he traveled all the way down through Europe into Italy Um, to gain an audience with the Pope because of his concern for some of the problems that he saw in the church. Well, he gets to Rome and he gains an audience with the Pope. And as he spoke in front of the Pope and some of the other bishops and cardinals, he quickly noticed that they were suppressing laughter because, in his own words later, he realized they they found it to be such a rare thing to find a man of such great sincerity and earnestness in the church. And after a few weeks, uh, uh, after the appeal that he had made, the Pope came back with an offer for him where he was offered a large post as a priest in Jerusalem, but he realized pretty quickly that he was being offered a good position with good pay for silence for the abuses in the church because they weren't willing to make any changes. So he turned down the position, he goes back home, and then he eventually decides to come to America, but then he lands in Canada first, he's a bookbinder, to make a living, but he's trying to share Christ through his work. He falls on hard times as home burns down. This causes him to move into the state of Ohio, in the town of Findlay, Ohio. And during his time there, there were a series of tent meetings being held by an elder Cornell. You know, I hope that we never lose our sense of purpose for evangelism as a church. So many times I hear people say, oh, evangelism is outdated and we need to make our message contemporary. But let me tell you something. The prophetic message that God has given us is still going to win hearts today. It's the message that will resound until the end of time. And, and this gentleman, Michael Tchaikovsky, was converted by the meetings that he heard and he became a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, he had a burden for getting this message to as many people as he could. Now, this gentleman, Michael Tchaikovsky, was a very talented man. He spoke seven languages. Now, I'll have to say that's pretty impressive because sometimes I run into people that can barely speak English. 
and we're almost proud of it, and it's not something to be proud of. Now I'm speaking to a crowd that probably does a little bit better. But this was a gentleman who could speak seven languages. He was not ashamed of the education that he had, and he went to the brethren, and he said, send me back to Europe where I speak the language so I can share the message over there. And the church was such an, an early stage of its existence, they didn't have the money to send him back. So he raised the money on his own and went on his own back to Europe. And while he was there, raised up an entire group of Sabbath keepers. He wasn't worried about whether or not I'll have insurance and benefits and things of that nature. No, he had found the pearl of great price. He had found the hidden treasure in the field. And he wanted to share this treasure and this pearl with as many as he could. He saw the call to service, to take this gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And he answered the call to service. You know, in my own life and in my own personal story, I really came to an awakening when I came out here to California to medical school to Loma Linda. And shortly before 9-11 the Lord really started working on my heart. And I'd, I'd gone to a, a camp meeting where I'd heard some very powerful messages where the preaching of the word really stirred my heart. And, and I had read through some Spirit of Prophecy books before. In fact, I had already read through um, the entire Conflict of the Ages series by the time I was in fifth grade in grade school. So, and I... I'm thankful for my parents for that because they encouraged me as I read through those books and as I would hear my friends and classmates in school make fun and belittle the writings of the spirit of prophecy, I would ask them, well, have you read her writings? And no, they hadn't. They had just heard caricatures of her writing, but I had read her for myself so I knew that the spirit of God was speaking through her. But as I came into my own as an adult, and as, I, as my heart started burning within me to have a greater understanding of truth and of knowledge and to know Jesus for myself, I remember between the summer of my first and second year of med school, I read through the Great Controversy in about two and a half weeks. Then I started reading through the testimonies again. And then amazingly for me personally, right after that, 9-11 happened, and I was convinced Jesus is at the door. In fact, I was talking to Steve Waterbrook about this last night. I was convinced when we were talking about our plans for the future, we were starting second year of medical school, I was convinced that we wouldn't necessarily even graduate because the world was in such a state of unrest after that event. And I honestly can't believe in a way that we're still here 17 years later. But ever since that time, not that I've been a perfect example of a call to service. I've had a burning desire to share the truth as it is in Jesus and to share Jesus who is the truth to as many as I can. So shortly after that, GYC started, then we were part of the starting of Avent Hope in Loma Linda. After my time in Loma Linda came to an end, I had the privilege of going to Trinidad for two years as a missionary, and that was Uh, just a a wonderful experience of of gaining further understanding of how to share Jesus in a different culture. And I've been back in Tennessee for the last six and a half years. But, you know, I look at the church today, and I think if we're paying attention, we do have to realize that we are a church in crisis. And... 
there is a difference in philosophy over what gospel should be shared, how it should be shared, and the Jesus that should be shared. And there's, there are some in the church today who want to share a Jesus that is divorced from the truth of the Jesus of Scripture because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if Jesus is separated from the truth of Scripture, he's not really the Jesus of Scripture. And the gospel that doesn't really have the power of the gospel to change our lives is not really the gospel of Scripture, but it's a false gospel. And because of that reality, and I'll just be frank here, because of this misunderstanding of the gospel, there's been the lack of gaining the true pearl of great price, and it's led to a division in the church where, if we're honest with ourselves, we have two versions of Adventism under one administrative structure. And so we can talk about mission and sharing the gospel, but what gospel are we committed to uniting together to share if we can't even agree on what the gospel is? How is the gospel going to go to every nation and kindred and tongue and people where one gospel is saying, love God and do as you please, and the other gospel is saying, God has given us all power in heaven and earth so that we can have assurance of of forgiveness and a belief in victory, and it can be a reality in the here and the now so that we can be witnesses for him. Where is the hunger in the church today, the way the pioneers in our church had that hunger, the spirit that they had to study truth and to share truth and to be like Jesus and to share Jesus? Now, You may be saying, yeah, I like what you just said, but I want to make this personal. How many of you have really and truly found in Scripture and in the gospel the hidden treasure in the field? Or is it something that you kind of run by for five minutes every day, and then you kind of reassure yourselves because you're going to a good church once a week and you're putting a nice check in the tithe envelope and you figure that will suffice for now even though you're not really digging for the hidden treasure. How many of you have really and truly found in Jesus the pearl of great price? Now we can all put on a good front when we come here to Amen. We can all look like good Seventh-day Adventists. But you know, deep down in your heart, if Jesus really is that pearl. And I don't know if he is for you or not. I pray that he is. But you know if you have given up everything for Jesus or if you haven't. I'm going to read Christ's Object Lessons 118. There are some who seem to be always seeking for the heavenly pearl. But they do not make an entire surrender of their wrong habits. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. Therefore, they do not find the precious pearl. Friends, this is talking about entire surrender. Now, sometimes we can paint surrender in such a way that it makes it sound almost legalistic. But here's the reality. When you see the matchless charms of Jesus for all that he is, you want to give him everything. And when you give give him everything, you gain everything. 
The quote goes on to say, They have not overcome unholy ambition and their love for worldly attractions. They do not take up the cross and follow Christ in the path of self-denial and sacrifice. Almost Christians, yet not fully Christians, they seem near the kingdom of heaven, but they cannot enter there. Almost but not wholly saved means to be almost but wholly lost. You know, I, I truly believe that a great temptation for many of us is that we can develop an unholy ambition in our professional line of work because the temptation is there to make so much money that when the call for service comes, we may not be willing to surrender that unholy ambition to the Lord because we don't realize that the pearl of great price in Jesus is worth exceedingly far more, infinitely more than the dollars that we will make that we're, that will burn up at the end of time. Now you may be saying, "Wow, I don't know, Norman." After hearing this, I, I just I, I haven't reached that point, and I just don't know that God could ever accept me for how sinful I've been. How could I see in Jesus the great pearl when I'm so vile, so wicked. Yeah, I'm putting on a good front, but that's just not me. I've, I'm still motivated in, in an unholy way to make lots of money, and I'm not really interested in sacrificing for the Lord. Notice what Ellen White goes on to say in Christ's Object Lessons 118. The parable of the merchantman seeking goodly pearls has a double significance. It applies not only to men as seeking the kingdom of heaven, but to Christ as seeking his lost inheritance. Christ, the heavenly merchantman seeking goodly pearls, saw in lost humanity the pearl of price. Listen, friends, you might still have unholy ambition in your life right now, and even then, Christ sees in you the pearl of great price, and he gave up everything to buy you. How could that not motivate you to give him everything? In man, defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption. Hearts that have been the battleground of the conflict with Satan and that have been rescued by the power of love are more precious to the Redeemer than are those who have never fallen. Have you? Did you hear that? You are more precious to the Redeemer than those who are never, who have never fallen. And He has given up everything. He emptied all of heaven to buy you back. And the way you receive the pearl of great price, which is Jesus, is to say, what you gave up will far exceed infinitely anything that I could ever give up. Jesus have everything in my life. How could you not want to give up everything in your life for a God who loves you like that? He collected all the riches of the universe and laid them down in order to buy the pearl. And Jesus, having found it, resets it in his own diadem. For they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon his land. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. So I have to ask you, in your health care work, is it service or is it business? Because if Jesus is the pearl of great price in your life, and if you have found the hidden treasure of the gospel in the field of, of heavenly scripture, how hard is it then to share that pearl. 
don't you want everybody to have what you have? Again, I think one of the reasons why we struggle sometimes to share is because we don't have the pearl. We haven't given up everything. And so we don't understand the exceeding riches that this pearl truly is. And so we don't know how to share it with others. And so that's, so you may be feeling that way. That's why you're here. And there's going to be seminars and opportunities. You can have side meetings with friends, people asking them, what do you do? What works for you? That's why you're here this weekend. And the Holy Spirit is still looking to raise up the withered right arm of Adventism. Because the right arm of the third angel's message and of the everlasting gospel is the medical missionary work. And we can meet people who are at crisis moments in their lives far better than the minister of the gospel can. And we have this power that has been placed in our hands that if we truly have the pearl of great price, which is Jesus, we have the key to share the, the message of the gospel to the world. Going on, Christ's object lessons 118, but Christ is the precious pearl, and our privilege of possessing this heavenly treasury is the theme on which we most need to dwell. It is the Holy Spirit that reveals to men the preciousness of the goodly pearl. The time of the Holy Spirit's power is the time when, in a special sense, the heavenly gift is sought and found. And then going on two pages later, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Spirit of Christ animated the whole congregation, for they had found the pearl of great price. You know, the Lord added to the church daily, and sometimes we're thrilled if we have one baptism a year in our church, and some of our churches aren't even getting that. Which makes me wonder, do we really have the pearl of great price? We're just satisfied with this Laodicean lukewarm condition of floating down this current of Laodicean Adventism. And this applies to those of us who believe the truths of the third angel's message. We can pride ourselves in saying, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I can prove the theory of the gospel. I can prove the theory of 1844. I can prove the theory of prophecy. So certainly God will overlook the defects in my life that I haven't surrendered everything to him and that Jesus isn't really the great pearl because at least I know what the pearl is. So when we don't have the pearl, we don't have the power and people aren't attracted to the message that we have. But a day is coming when the apostolic scenes are going to be repeated. Notice this is the last statement. I'm going to read Christ's object lessons 121. These scenes, speaking of the apostles, are to be repeated and with greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be more abundant. The Spirit awaits our demand and reception. Christ is again to be repeated in his fullness by the Holy Spirit's power. Men will discern the value of the precious pearl, and with the Apostle Paul they will say, this is Philippians 3, 7, and 8, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my my Lord. Friends, I want to challenge you today. There needs to be a reform in our thinking as healthcare professionals. So many times we're willing to serve the Lord as long as it doesn't mean the loss of position, prestige, money, influence, or power. 
But if it means the loss of our income or a pay cut or a call to service to the mission field, we're not willing to go. And the reality is we're not willing to go because Jesus is not the pearl of great price to us. What we need is to buy that pearl. And when we realize that Jesus sees us as the pearl, then we'll fall down on our knees and say, Lord, I don't understand how you could see that in me. But because you do, I'm giving everything back to you. Lord, forgive me for thinking such selfish thoughts of, surely you wouldn't want me to change my life and to surrender certain habits that I know are unhealthy for me or the things that I watch or the things that I eat or the entertainment that I partake of or whatever it is or the attitudes that I have towards people that think differently than me, whatever it may be. Lord, I want the pearl. You are the pearl. I give you everything. And if there's something in my life that I'm hanging on to, help me will be made willing to be willing to give that to you so that I can receive the pearl, not just for my benefit, but for the benefit of my patients who see me every day, so that I'm not seeing each patient that comes through as another number that will add to a certain number of work RVUs that will add to my paycheck for the month, and I'm hardly thinking about souls that could be gained for the kingdom. Lord, help me to reorder my motivation so that I'm not in this practice for business, but for service. So that I can be part of the right arm that the Lord is going to use so that someday soon there are going to be souls added to the church daily. Now, I'm not going to make an appeal to have everyone come forward. But I am going to make an appeal, and it is this. You've heard the message today, and you realize that in order to have Jesus, who is the pearl, Jesus needs to have everything in your life. And you're saying, Lord, this hit me between the eyes today. I came out here to have a nice time, see some friends, hear some meetings. But I wasn't really thinking about this with respect to call to service, that you're asking for everything in my life. And, Lord, I, humanly speaking, don't want to give up my way of thinking about my practice and how I do things. But I realize that what you have to offer is a lot better than what I have. So help me to be willing to be made willing. And if there's something in your life or in your practice that you want to change so that you can have the pearl of great price, I'm going to invite you to stand. It doesn't have to be everyone, but I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to have a prayer that the Lord will give us the strength to have that pearl. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Lord, I need this message as much as anyone. Lord, please help us to see in Jesus.
in all of his glory, hanging on the cross, the king of the universe, who is our personal savior, who emptied heaven and gave everything so that he could buy us back. Lord, may we experience Galatians 2.20, where we are crucified with Christ, so that we can have that pearl. So whatever it may be in our life, in our practice, whatever it is, may we surrender it fully to you so that you will truly be that pearl and that our patients, our co-workers, our family, our friends will see that we have found in Jesus the pearl of great price. And may this experience lead to the hastening of the coming of Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.